All right, welcome back to the Stuff Jesus Said podcast. I'm Eric Payton. And I'm Corey Nickel. And we've got a special guest here in the studio. It's really not a studio. It's more like a uh, extra bedroom. You know, um, I, you really didn't have to tell people that. They could have imagined this as one of the most prestigious <laughs> studios we something more special on the block. <laughs> yeah. We've got a special guest in the uh, extra bedroom today. And that is, <laughs> that is Pastor Ben Mason. Um, we're going to be talking to him about a passage that he chose today. You want to say hey or anything? Hey. My name, right. is, <laughs> my name is Pastor Ben, as Eric said. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I, I like listening to the podcast. So you can say awesome. this is your first uh, fan on the show, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what it is. I like yeah, it. Yeah, because Ryan Hervey, he's not really a fan. He's not yeah. a fan. No. He hasn't listened to another episode. Ryan, if you're, if you're listening to this, just text Call us out. so we know. Shame him. <laughs> and if you don't say anything within the next week, then we know. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to jump right into it because we'll be honest. Um, Corey and I recorded the last episode uh, three days ago, four days ago, last Friday. It's Tuesday today. Okay. <laughs> Five days ago. Five days ago. Okay. I don't know. Not even that. Okay. I don't know. So not much has happened. Normally we go through current events. We go through what's been happening. Um, we go through how the last episode has landed on us, but we're just going to jump into getting to know Ben real quick because um, I'm sure a lot of our viewers know who you are or our listeners know who you are, but um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a pastor at Lutheran Church of Hope and I focus primarily on marriage and parenting. So that's kind of my niche in the ministry there and my wife and I do pre-marriage classes and marriage course uh, that's an alpha course and uh, we do events like marriage retreats, and we do things called one-night outs that are kind of like mini marriage retreats that are really designed to be proactive. Like, people usually don't get help with their marriage until the, the wheels are falling off, but we want to do ministry with people before they get to that point so they can start get start, start to get better tools on how to have a good relationship. So, uh, to capitalize off that, as I am newly married, like one year, would we yeah. say one year, two months, and ten days? You said it. I did. Yeah, I think that's. I'm right. not keeping track of your marriage. Um, <laughs> so like, how would I, how would I get involved if I, if I'm listening? Yeah, and I'm absolutely. So like, for example, like I'm really curious of of like, did you say the one night out? Yeah, we so our next we we have four events right uh, a year as far as those go. We have two retreats and then two married people night outs, and so. Uh, our next retreat is going to be, I think, the second week in November. Don't quote me on the date. But uh, it's Friday night, Saturday morning, and you come, and there's games, like good opportunities to meet other couples. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And then also you, there'll be a teaching where you get to get some tools. Uh, so the last thing we talked about is what happy couples know. So what are some things that happy couples know that other people don't know? And so what, what's so helping people see like, okay, if, if we take these little practical steps, like that'll get us help a little bit closer to our goal of being a happy couple, yeah. you know? So really practical tools. Our values are love God first, respect and love each other, practice the promise you made. Cause we all make wedding vows when we get married and then, you know, do we really think about those things? practice your promise, live it out. And then also have serious fun. So, you know, we do, we had a silly like relay race where couples had to, uh, go through a morning routine where they had to find their keys in the, in the crack of the couch. And then they had to like change a, 
a diaper on a That's doll awesome. and then they had to make toast and then you know text i'm gonna be late for work and you know <laughs> it's like a silly relay race and uh it's just a fun thing that you do just because once once we get couples having fun together right then you're already winning they're yeah. already getting better at marriage because because they're having fun together when you talk to couples that are struggling which i also do a lot of one of the things you notice is they're not having fun. If you can just get them to have fun together, like that automatically moves the dial a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, so, sorry, I was going to keep capitalizing on okay, that. So, capitalize away. Uh, so, Luther Church of Hope website, right? There's yeah. events there and you can like sign up yep. and get involved. Yeah. So, if you go to org, and then you can either search or you can go on the calendar tab or you can go to the connect tab and find uh, marriage. And I think it's engagement and marriage is what it is on the connect tab. And you can see the upcoming events. So uh, we'll start the marriage course, I believe in October and that's a seven week class that you can take. It'll be Tuesday nights. Uh, and then, uh, like I said, the married people night out, I think in November, or I, I think that'll be a retreat, but the retreat and the married people night out is the same format. It's just the length. That's right. the only difference. But it's new content every time. So that's awesome. One of the things we learned is that I think people came and they're like, oh, yeah, that was great. But I'm not going because I already went. And yeah. we didn't communicate to them well that it's, well, it's different content every single time, different crazy games, different um, teaching. Yeah. So that's great. And the last, the last thing I'll say is that I know Pastor Ben is good because my cousin actually went to one of your premarital oh nice or, or a couple couple of the weekends that sure. you did in, in one of those and uh her and her um fiance loved it and they walked away with so many awesome things so i was i was really <laughs> excited to like meet the man who oh cool who inspired them so i i have the the blessing of actually marrying them um awesome in, over in, in, cool. in like september so I, yeah. I told them i was like you've, you've got to go get premarital counseling somewhere i'm not doing it yeah. Um, and then someone kind of gifted them the package at Hope, and they that's awesome. They loved it. So well, uh, you know, uh, that's great to hear. That's one of my favorite classes to teach. To get to, you know, you're in that place where you're excited to be together. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, uh, but you don't know what you don't know. So getting people to engage in that class is really easy. Getting people to get excited about that class is easy. But then when they start to see some of the things that they didn't realize was a was a thing. Some of the things that oh wow, this is really important in ways that we hadn't realized. That's that's pretty fun and pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. So how'd you get into marriage ministry? Like where where did that? <laughs> yeah. Come so from and... um, I'm I'm passionate about helping people grow in their faith. Um, that's a good reason to become a pastor, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I do a lot of pastoral care. One of the things that I feel like I'm gifted at one of the things that is uh, a niche that I've fallen into naturally is doing care at hope. And then through that, I've worked with a lot of couples and then um, it just kind of developed organically or naturally where I just started doing some different things and it was a need that was there in the community. And so we, my wife and I both work at Lutheran Church of Hope. She works mostly in the children's ministry. She runs our Hope Kids Wednesday program. So uh, she and I both work together to plan the marriage events and do the marriage course and different things like that. We teach all that stuff that I just mentioned together. 
That's so, great. Yeah, that's that's an extra bonus, you know. So it's kind of a a gifting that you just kind of yeah kept kept pursuing, and then it because I remember wasn't there there wasn't even that really a a specific marriage ministry before you were there, right? You well, yeah, kind of created this from right. So at different points we've had, you know, it's kind of like oscillated at Hope where we had more intentional marriage ministry, and then you know other stuff kind of got more attention and it kind of gradually faded away. And so f- since I came to Hope in 2011, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff. And then uh, there was not really um, anybody to take the reins. And so that was kind of one of the things I stepped into noticing, like, yeah, Hope could really use this. And this is a really good way to bless a lot of the people at Hope because how many people that come on Sunday morning are married? A lot of yeah, them. Absolutely. And so... Uh, and you think about not only are the people, how many people are married, but how many people have a, a, are invested in marriage, right? Either people are married or they want to be married or, you know, they uh, have family that's married or uh, they, they're least interested in marriage being better in society. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it's, it's a really good way to connect with something that people need and some pe- people want. Um, but also just recognize uh, this can be either be like the relationship in your life that is the biggest blessing you've ever had, or it can be a huge pain. Like if you do it wrong, mm-hmm. marriage is really painful. So um, how long have you been married? I've been married 17 years. Okay. Uh, my wife and I uh, were high school sweethearts. Nice. Yeah, that's where you go. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. It's very rare. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> so, is. Do you know that statistic? No. I, I, go it's, ahead. It's it's uh, 2%. 2% oh, really? of married relationships are um, high school sweethearts. Really? Nice. Yeah. Okay. I only use that against my kids. When you're and, like, I'm going to marry him. Right. When, like, I'm no, a, you're when, not. when I'm in the high school <laughs> and when I'm in the middle school setting, I'm like, it's even worse odds. Yeah. You know, they're all like in love with each other. No, you're not. Um, so I'm here anyway, to pour you're, cold water yeah. on your dreams. I'm so, an educator. <laughs> exactly. Kill all your dreams. Anyway. So yeah, you're part of the 2%. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And, and not only are there less couples, but it's harder. I think, um, they say the the younger you are, that when you get married, the harder it is to stay together. So, um, but you know, I I I think uh, for us, you know, um, we really see God's hand in all of it. And when I discern my call to the ministry, uh, I before I even mentioned to anybody, I talked to Steph and said, "What do you think about this? What do you think about me being a pastor? Is that nuts? Like, can you get on board with that? Because I recognize that, you know, that's just as much a calling for her as it is for me. And she, she's like, she was all into it. So we've always um, considered it our ministry, not my ministry. So we've always looked at it from that holistic kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of got like a dual, dual job. I mean, she does the, yeah. the youth and family stuff and then she, she's always involved in the marriage. Absolutely. Stuff, so yeah. She's, Seems like she's pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, she's busy, and she's she's really good at all of it. I when she got hired, I told him uh, at Hope, I was like, "You're gonna realize you hired the wrong Mason the first time." And, you know, <laughs> I'm just like the extra stuff. Like she's yeah. the the real deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, you went to seminary at I went to seminary at Luther Seminary. Luther. Okay, I yeah. thought you were a Bethel guy. No. Okay. 
Right. Right. There's a lot of a lot of Bethel and Luther Luther people. Yeah, it's, I'm a Bethel guy. All all of hope seems like it's either Luther or Bethel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you got MDiv. Yep, got my MDiv. Awesome. Uh, got my bachelor's in. Uh, let's, I'm gonna mess it up. Uh, organizational management in Christian leadership. Okay. So I was. Sweet. I went to Colorado, Colorado Christian University. Yes. You know, you know that school. I do. Yeah. You're familiar. Really? Yeah, it's kind of. I looked at going there way back in the day. Really? Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. Where's it? Is it Denver? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the main campus is in Denver, and they had a a satellite campus in Loveland, which is where my wife and I lived at the time. And so, um, without getting into the whole story, when I went back to school after dropping out the first time, <laughs> I knew I was going back for ministry, and then. Uh, saw that program i was like organizational management in christian leadership like that's what i'm gonna be doing as a pastor i'm totally gonna go for that and that that's awesome ended up being really good yeah that's awesome cool you got any other questions for him to introduce the uh, audience to him i mean uh, I, I i work with them so i feel like right you know? <laughs> yeah you yeah no i i'm just i'm, I'm excited I'm probably to, assuming a lot yeah what do you ask than... your coworker? Yeah. so how's that chili you cooked in the microwave <laughs> the other day that, was, yeah, I gotta sit that smelled weird yeah <laughs> well no I, I guess the only question i would ask right so is is what are you drinking tonight ben? oh sure yeah i am drinking a beer that eric gave me it's a uh, stone scorpion bowl ipa so uh, it's it's got a good hop to it. Uh, it's a tasty beer. I like it. Do you are you an IPA guy normally? I like I like well brewed beers. How about that? There you go. So um, yeah. I like an IPA. I like a good porter. I like uh, I, my favorite kinds of beers are probably Belgian styles. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, but I don't drink a lot of beer. I just drink you know once in a blue moon but not that often do i drink because a blue you moon. like wheat beer no oh. <laughs> belgian wheat beer right yeah. blue moon. no that's awesome no that's great well that's a good one to snag i also have an ipa in my hand but this one is from kona brewing tonight and so um that's kind of the hawaii origin um brand but they do brew it here in oregon okay. yeah no yeah it's like they they brew it local now that it got bigger, you know, a little microbrewery blew up and now it's everywhere in every store. Um, but Kona Brewing is pretty good. They have a variety pack that you can get has like all different flavors. Sure. You can try it out, Eric, if you want. But this is the Castaway India Pale Ale. Castaway. And I've got a Malbec. I don't know what the brand is or anything. It was just what was down there. So usually, well, we know it's from Costco. It's definitely from it's Costco. It's always from Costco. Every wine we get is from Costco. Actually, actually, just last uh, was it last week, two weeks ago, we went to uh, Minneapolis. Have you ever been to Total Wine? No. It's this, it's like a big wine warehouse, huh. like a Costco for just wine wow. in wow. Minneapolis. And you know, we went in there to like look at stuff, and basically didn't get a whole. We got like the stuff we would get anyway. Because they're so overwhelmed by That's all lame. the kinds, you know. We're like, oh, we'll try try something new, and then you go in there, and there's, it's literally like walking in a Walmart, just full of wine everywhere. And you're like, I don't know, I don't know where to begin. You should. What I'd always do is like, I pick one thing that I know, and then one thing that's like totally off the wall, and I could totally pick yeah. it based on the label. The like, label. The label that's looks like, weird. I'm yeah. gonna pick that. Or. <laughs> You know, they got a really funny name or whatever, yeah. and I have no idea what it is. But then yeah. at least you try something new, right? Yeah. yeah, I completely judge a book by its or a wine by its cover. <laughs> that's that's right. 
I doubt. I noticed you got a Chentro glass too. It says Chentro. Did you hear the? They got burned down. I saw. I there's saw there's a fire. A fire. Yeah. yeah. What? It's not completely burned down though, is it? They basically. Well, they said indefinitely, so yeah, it'll reopen at some point. But it's it's burned enough that it's closed yeah, indefinitely. For, yeah. Wow. No, I got this glass from uh, Goodwill. Oh, there you go. Uh, it it also says Surly on it. It's got a Surly logo and, and a Chentro logo. I just like the the shape of it. Okay, so that's I actually it, that's a beer glass. I call glass. it my chalice. That is a beer. Glass. You know that's a beer glass, right? Yeah. And you're drinking wine. In I, it. I, okay. I definitely know you that. But I drink everything. So I drink points. water. Out yeah. Of this, all, all the wine snobs. <laughs> all the wine snobs and the beer snobs have now logged yeah. off. Yeah. They can't no see it. They can't see it. We have no live feed yet. All right. Let's uh. Let's jump on in. We are 15 minutes in and we're just getting started. So um, our topic today is uh, Ben Selected, Yeah. Um, mar- obviously on marriage and divorce, and um, mm-hmm. it's from Matthew 19. Uh, do, what do you... What do you want to do? You want to do four through six or do you want to go the whole... Yeah, well, let's... Uh... Do you want to read it? Yeah. Okay. So let me, let me start... Um... Obviously, being a pastor, you deal with whatever comes to you. And, and one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is divorce. And um, so um, we have a support group at Hope uh, for divorce. And one of the things they notice is people are really struggling with what the Bible says. And so in the course of that group, they said, hey, why don't you come and answer questions? So it started really informally. Like, why don't you come and wrestle with this with people? And then it turned more and more into me doing kind of a talk. So yeah, that's kind of um, what what I what I am going to talk about tonight is kind of like what I kind of say to them. Yeah. So um, as we get into it, the passage that I kind of use is like the hinge. The thing that I focus on is this story in Matthew 19 where Jesus is there and the and the Pharisees come and they try to trap him with a question. And uh, it's important to recognize that context. And they said, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus says to them, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And then they ask him, Why did Jesus say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and then send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a a concession to you and your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. And I'm reading the New Living Translation. It's an easy-to-understand translation. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to bring that because I think that's something that people struggle with. You know, what does the Bible say about divorce? You know, what does Jesus think about divorce? And then for us in our day and age, like how do we approach marriage and how do we approach divorce? You know. Yeah. What, what does this say to me if I'm a Christian who's coming to church and I am divorced? What does this say to me if um, somebody is thinking about marriage? Yeah. Know? Or what if I'm divorced, 
you know, and thinking about marrying somebody else, what does it mean? Yeah. So uh, my initial reaction, and maybe this is this is just, I guess, what I'm what I'm focusing on. It, it says at the end, um, except for sexual immorality, is what it says in NIV. Yeah. And my mind immediately goes to, what about physical abuse? What about you know, like all these terrible, terrible situations that sure. it does not include. Sure. And so how do we? I'm I'm just right away start because because I don't I don't have enough. Uh, ton of experience with divorce i've never been divorced my wife's never been divorced and we don't have a lot of family we do have some but that has been divorced yeah and so um yeah how do we because because the numbers in our culture are really high of the number of people that have been divorced and so i think we're above 50 percent now that marriages are ending in divorce yeah Yeah. the interesting thing about the numbers too is the numbers are going down true and the reason why the numbers are going down is not because people are valuing marriage more is because they're saying if if marriages are going to end in divorce so frequently why would i bother getting married yeah so less people are getting married and people are putting off marriage uh longer and that's why the numbers are going down okay and, and interestingly, like if we would keep reading in this scripture, the disciples actually kind of ask that question. Yeah, they're like, they're like, oh, they're wait. asking the same thing. Right? Yeah, they're, they're like, like, how do you honor God with marriage? This, yeah, this is really hard. If this all could happen. Like, is it even worth getting married? And Jesus is kind of like, well, it's, there's a whole <laughs> bunch of different situations, but like to each their sure. own, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and he talks about the different gifts that God has given different people. And I think that's, uh, you can talk about that too, uh, where when we think about marriage, we look at what God says through Jesus at marriage. Jesus says, you know, for this reason, a man leaves his father and his mother. And he's joined to his wife, mm-hmm. you know, and what God has done, let no one separate. Yeah. When we think about marriage. It says what God has done. And th- that's a really big part of my theology around marriage is the guy that focuses on marriage at a big church. Yeah. Is more about what God's doing in our life than what we're doing. And we focus yeah. more on marriage like as our decision. And it is our decision or our vow. And it is. But more than that, it's God choosing us for this. So that that pops up a question for me. And you, yeah. ca- you kind of started hitting on it a bit. But, right, so what God has put together no man can separate but but what if it what if it wasn't really god this is tough this is a tough boundary but like what what if it was really was two people just lustfully sure after the flesh they decide to get married and it was literally all their own desire sure never really like god inspired or god centered sure um th- like, like how, how does that come into play so let, let's say you know, two people are drunk and then they go through the drive through at one right. of those chapels <laughs> in, Vegas. in Vegas, like as a joke. Right. Yeah. And is God putting those two people together like that? That's a question I think we can wrestle with. So uh, and and it gets to what we think about sex, too. Right. Mm-hmm. It, and when two people have sex, are they is are they being joined in a spiritual way or is this just some physical thing they're do, they're, they're doing because it's fun? Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's this deeper uh, there's this deeper thing that's happening, right? When people are joined together, whether it's Elvis doing it or me doing it or somebody else doing it, officiating, <laughs> I mean, uh, there's something spiritual going on, yeah, right? And just like any other thing that is powerful, you can treat it with reverence or you can treat it with in a cavalier way, right? Yeah. But that doesn't make... I can, like, 
you know, uh, put uh, bottle rockets in my butt crack and shoot them out, <laughs> you know, and that doesn't make them less dangerous, yeah. right? So uh, the fact that it's not treated in a reverent way it doesn't make le- marriage less legal yeah. or less uh, painful when when it doesn't work out or less uh, spiritually uh, harming. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I, that's the way I think about it. So um, in wrestling with this, with, with people in that class, like, what I saw is that people felt really shamed. They felt really, they they just were closing up. They didn't want they didn't want to hear what the Bible had to say, you know, because um, they don't. They're in this place where their marriage is dissolved or is dissolving, and they they come with the perception that what I'm going to hear is going to tell me that I'm a bad person, and yeah. that's rough, you know. And that's kind of where I was going to land there is like, I'm sure, and this can go back to stuff Jesus said, right? Like I'm sure some people have almost twisted that message from the Bible that like, well, I'm divorced or in a really rocky spot in my marriage. And thus in the Christian world, like I'm kind of frowned upon, I'm destitute, I'm below, I'm downgraded. And they come with that shame and that guilt almost living in this judgment of perhaps what they perceive to be the words of the Bible. Sure. Right. So, so we can look at it. We're all Christians. We live in the Christian world. We can, we don't need to think about that hypothetically. Like what, what sort of mentalities do Christians today bring to divorce? And, and as we look at these words, I think we can start to understand why, and we can understand them in a, in a way that I think is more life giving too. So, um, some of the stuff that I've heard, like Christians say, well, yeah, unless there's infidelity, you can't get a divorce. Unless I've heard, I've heard people say there's two two biblically allowed for reasons for divorce: infidelity, or if an unbeliever leaves, right? And that comes from something that Paul says in First Corinthians seven, right? And other than that, there's no you there's no way that you can get divorced that God won't frown upon. Right. And then reading in a very uh, literalist way, like when what Jesus says here, if you are divorced, you shouldn't get remarried. Mm. Yeah. You know, and so that's that's like I would say that's the prevailing conservative Christian sort of way of thinking about it. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, I guess just my thoughts is when we were going to talk about this is I'm not because. Like in this passage, it only says except for sexual immorality. And then I know mm-hmm. in other places it says, you know, then, then Paul says, you know, if, if a, a non-believer leaves a believer, mm-hmm. and then it seems like, well, why didn't Jesus say that here? And then it just kind of muddies, it almost muddies the waters, and you're like, well, which, what's what's just like the one message? How do we just like boil it down to make yeah. it simple? Don't and maybe maybe it's Maybe it's not simple. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. That. Yeah. But, Is that the one? <laughs> well, right. But what if, you know, like um, Eric was talking about, what if there is abuse? Right. Right. Yeah. Does God allow for divorce when abuse, right. you know, uh, and this is really important because I know people who have been pushed by Christian people into abusive relationships saying, well, divorce isn't biblical. God doesn't want you to get a divorce. Yikes. So stay with somebody who's abusive. Yeah. And uh, this is why I think this is really important to talk about, because I don't see God's heart in that. I don't see that as what God wants for people. And when we talk about abuse, uh, 
I think we can say unequivocally that God is not for people being abused. Right. And we can say without a shadow of a doubt that God would prefer somebody be safe than be in a relationship where they're being endangered, you know, or whether where children are being endangered. You know, what about a yeah. relationship where uh, somebody is a raging uh, addict and the, the, the relationship is so broken that for the other person to, to come out in a way that's healthy in any way, shape or form, mm-hmm. that person has to leave the relationship. You know, and this is where it gets personal for me because my, my parents are divorced and my dad's an alcoholic. And that, that is one of the reasons why this uh, is something that I feel passionately about because my, my parents, that was the situation. It's like my dad wasn't uh, sober in any way for my mom to get healthy. She had to leave the marriage. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, is that something that was not a biblical thing? Mm-hmm. You know, what is, and then we come to this question, like, how does that fit with what Jesus said? Yeah. So there's there. So this passage connects back to Deuteronomy 24, mm-hmm. where they're, they say, then why, you know, why did Moses command that a man, um, give his wife a certificate of divorce and sent her away. And Jesus says, Moses permitted. And I think in your, in your um, mm-hmm. translation, it said as a concession. Right. Cause mm-hmm. they had hard hearts. Yeah. Which almost to me sounds like, then you go to Deuteronomy 24, like it's, it's making it more uh, rigid. You yeah. Know, like, Oh yeah. Well, Moses lets you divorce people, but that's only because it was a concession. He just doesn't want it at all. Yeah. And so all of these Excuses for divorce or reasons for divorce are just concessions. Yeah, is it, you, you sure. see what I'm saying? Like we're, I feel like you can wind this ball of string really tight, but then where do, where does it start to sure. like? Where do you start to like see clarity in those areas? Sure. Well, if you think about the law, like if you look, think about Deuteronomy, Leviticus, you know the these uh, laws that God gives us. You know, are they laws that are so? Um, are, are they laws that meet us where we're at, right? So we're none of us is perfect. Mm-hmm. None of us is righteous according to Romans three, which quotes the Old Testament, right? Um, if if we think about the law, I think all of the law in some way is a concession, right? It's it's a way of saying your life is not it's a mess. Here's the way to make it less a mess, right? Your, li- your life is off the rails. Like, here's a path to, to, to kind of uh, put back together what you can put back together. Yeah. So uh, I think that when you think about law, I think about it, meeting people where they're at, right? You can say, well, uh, the, I don't know. I don't want this to be like a, a bad example, but here it is. Right? It's probably a bad example. We give them all no, the time. No matter... Because, you know, it, it could be one of those things that's distracting, right? If you think, okay, that uh, we're ruining the planet by burning fossil fuels, well, let's just stop driving cars. Like, that's that's not – you could say that's a law. You can make that a law, yeah. right? But then our society comes grinding to a halt, right? Yeah. right? We can't just stop driving cars. So any law that that is put in place 
has to be a concession to the fact that we are addicted to this yeah. thing, right? So the law, when you read laws about slavery, like the law isn't condoning slavery. The law is giving, given as a concession to the fact that the world that the law is written for mm-hmm. is one that's based on slavery. Yeah. That's you know, does that make sense? Yeah. So when you, when you think about it that way, uh, read this passage as uh, a concession, right? So in, in Deuteronomy 24, starting with verse 1, Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her is what the New Living Translation says, but uh, what the, in a more literal translation, it says any cause for sexual immorality in her. He, he writes her a letter of divorce, or certificate of divorce, and hands it to her and sends her away from his house. And when she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. But if a second husband also turns against her and divorces her, or if he dies, the first husband may not marry her again, for she has been defiled. So let's unpack that. Yeah. Yeah. So again, like we think about the law, like we think of it through our eyes and we're like, okay. It's like a speed uh, limit. Yeah, like, am, am I, you know, I, I don't know, my ox isn't goring in other people's oxes. Like, I don't know how this relates to my life. <laughs> you know, um, there's another one. We're not boiling, too late. Yeah. boiling a young goat, uh, goat in its mother's milk. <laughs> yeah, like, what, what, what are you trying to tell me here, God? I'm, yeah. I'm like, looking for guidance in my life. I'm not supposed to boil goats in mother's milk. I don't know what to do. You know, <laughs> so then uh, what, what God is saying, so. Um, if you look at the history in which this is written, mm-hmm. right? Do you do you guys know what Hammurabi's code is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, mm-hmm. do you? Here's uh, not, some not trivia. Well no. Okay, so uh, in in Babylonia, right? Uh, there is this king called Hammurabi, right? And he was one of the first guys who really codified a law. And he and he etched it on this stone tablet that we found, and so yeah, it's like the oldest, like it's the oldest inscribed inscribed law, law right? Of and, all time. I knew, and I knew so it. he's super <laughs> super influential in that sense. Like before then, it's like you know, if somebody wrongs you, you go back and you you kill them, right? And and then and what what the Bible says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, in the Old Testament, and the, Jesus says something else about that later, but. It, it gets this concept from Hammurabi where, uh, you know, he's saying, let the punishment fit the crime, right? And Hammurabi's code is really kind of messed up in a lot of ways. Like, it's very uh, based on, like, if you're rich, it's better for you. If you, if a rich man wrongs a poor man, he just pays a fine. If a poor man rich riches a wrong man, he takes it in blood, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's all these ways that it's not just, but... But you see how it's a concession. It yeah. it creates more justice where there wasn't any justice before, yeah. right? So in Hammurabi's code, if a man didn't like his wife's cooking, if a man didn't like the things that uh, she wore, if he didn't like the fact that she was old and you know wasn't looking the way she used to, whatever he didn't like about her, it didn't really matter. He could divorce her, and he would say, "Get out of my house," and then she would have to leave. Well. Not only that, but if he changed his mind, he could come back mm-hmm. and he could take her back. Or So he could come back five years later mm-hmm. and say, yeah, I, did, I never said that. 
you know, you're still my wife. And you see how unjust that is for her. Right. And it was, it was totally biased, right? Guys could do this. Women couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, So for her, she had no recourse. If she was divorced, she was kind of out in the lurch. Right. So if you were thinking of, you were a man and you were thinking about dating and marrying, hopefully this woman, and, and you knew that she was divorced, she's, a, she's tainted goods in the sense that at any point, this guy could come back and say, right. no, no, that's my wife. Yep. Yeah. And so you, she's, she could never find another husband because of the way the law was written. Right. Right. Oh, okay. So <clears throat> what you see Deuteronomy doing, if a man divorces his wife because of sexual immorality, he, he needs to write her a certificate of divorce. So what the law is actually doing is saying she has a right to marry somebody else, yeah. right? And when it says if if she divorces and then the, the divorces a second man, the first man can't come back to her. Right. It's a direct response to this other code that was written that was saying uh, she has a, a letter that says, "Hey pal, you kicked me out. Yep. I have a right to marry whoever I want. So go pound sand." She has the right to say that. So what you see is the law giving women rights where they didn't have any rights before. Yeah. So yeah. the law of God is actually creating more justice in a world that was tremendously unjust. Wow. Okay, so when you when you take it from that angle, this makes a lot more sense. Oh. Not only that, you start to see God's heart in this yeah. law, right? God's heart is for people that are suffering. God's heart is for people that have been abused, people that have been mistreated, yeah. people that uh, are downcast. And you could say, like, for right relationship, like, okay, that first one, obviously there was issues there and, yeah. and you know, the woman got kicked out for whatever it was like, let's get it right the next time. Let's, yeah. let's give that justice. And, and also, it, go ahead. Well, and also just like, I, I feel like I've, I've heard this before from secular culture on how like the Bible can be misogynistic, especially the old Testament. And if you like read that, like it's, it's given the man the power and, you know, but really it, it it's it, doing it makes the it, it's exact more, opposite. It's, it's in the exact opposite. Yeah, it's making it equal. It's it's it's, it's giving it's more equality. Yeah. It's making it more equal. But understanding the law is a concession for a really broken world, yeah. it's giving more equality and more justice than ever existed in the world up to that point. So, you know, we're going to say, well, it didn't make it everything perfect. Well, give me a law that does, right? Right. So what it does is it makes it gives people a voice where they didn't have a voice. It gives people power where they didn't have power. Yeah. Right? So uh, this is the context of this Matthew 19 verse. So uh, there's this book that I really like about this. It's by this guy named David Instone Brewer. His book's called Divorce and Remarriage Sounds in like the Church. Sounds like you make a good beer. Yeah, David Instone Brewer. He... You got Stone Brewery and <laughs> Instone what Brewer. What do you know? He should, nice. he should sue him for copyright infringement. Yeah. Like, you took my name. Yeah. That's perfect. So um, he unpacks this stuff in a really good way. And so a lot of what I've learned is from this guy. And uh, what what he challenges is like, okay, you, you've said as Christians that God allows divorce only for sexual immorality, only for adultery, and only when an unbeliever leaves. So what about abuse? Yeah. What about these things? Like, does that really fit the God that we worship, the God that we know, the God, you know, who loved the world so much that he sent his son for, to die for them? Is this the God that we worship? Like, it doesn't really seem like it adds up. And I think that w- when we understand the Bible makes sense, like, if it doesn't add up, then maybe we got it wrong. Got to look at it again. We got to look at it again. Yeah. So, uh, 
Well, it, it, it's, it's so easy to look at the Bible through our lens, our modern lens, and I, especially the Old Testament, be like, that's not that's not how we that, would do it today. That's not it's how not, we would it, do it. That's, yeah. that's dumb. Like, yeah. Well, you, you know, you don't know how often oxes gore other yeah. oxes, right? <laughs> it could have been happening a lot back then. <laughs> so <laughs> when, uh, when he impacts this, uh, so David Enstone Burroughs is a scholar who looks at a ton of old manuscripts. Like he, he especially focuses on stuff like this. He's read a bunch of divorce decrees throughout the ancient world. He's, he's read... Uh, a whole bunch of uh, the different midrash, which is what uh, rabbis do, is they look at the Old Testament and then they they write commentary kind of on it. So midrash, you'll have these different uh, rabbis, you know, reflecting on these verses and trying to discern what it is that God's trying to say and how do we apply it to our lives. Mm-hmm. So, a couple hundred years before Jesus lived, there was this one rabbi who's really influential. His name is Hillel. Okay, and Hillel looked at this passage from Deuteronomy 24. He says, if a man should find any cause for sexual immorality in his wife, he can divorce her by giving her a divorce decree. Right. And the the key there is any cause for sexual immorality, because what Hillel said was now Moses grammatically could have just said if he finds sexual immorality in his wife he can divorce her so but why did he say any cause for sexual immorality like who knows why he did but what Hillel said was what I think Moses was saying is there's the sexual morality cause for divorce yeah and then there's the any cause cause for divorce okay so what he did what he did is he separated it out and so he said hmm I think what Moses is really saying he's saying if you find sexual immorality in your marriage, then there's a good reason for divorce. But if there's any cause at all that causes distress or causes uh, struggle for you, it was kind of like the ancient version of the no-fault divorce, right? Oh, right. yeah. So when when you mentioned earlier that divorce rates are really high in our society, what if I told you they're at least as high in Jesus' day? Hmm. So they were. And, and Brewer kind of unpacks that for us. Yeah. And it's really interesting because what you see the Pharisees doing when they come to Jesus, see some Pharisees came to try to trap Jesus with this question. Mm-hmm. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason for, or for any cause? Mm. Oh. So they're asking him a specific question about this debate that we don't even know that's yes. going on. Yeah. Because in Jesus' day, Hillel had been really influential and so his commentary on divorce led to a couple hundred years before Jesus led to by the time Jesus rolled around, divorce was really common. And the reason why is because they used his reading of scripture to say, well, this is any cause divorce. And, and oh, so my divorce yeah. is lawful. I can divorce my wife for any cause. Yeah. So divorce became really common. And there were some people that said, no, this isn't right. You shouldn't just be able to divorce your wife for any cause. Yeah. Right. So when the, when the rabbis come to him, we think that he's, they're asking about divorce in general. Yeah. What they're really asking him is, what do you think about the any cause divorce? Yeah. Right. Right. So instead he, Jesus is answering this question, but not by talking about divorce, but by talking about marriage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so he's what, what we think is, you know, uh, 
what what's the minimum amount? What is the things that I can do to still yeah. be okay with God? Right. And what Jesus always does is raise the bar. He says, you know, if you think uh, it's wrong to commit adultery, well, don't look at somebody with lust in your heart. If you think it's wrong to uh, murder, well, don't even be angry at somebody. He, you know, he right. always raises the right. bar. What you see Jesus doing here is he raises the bar from divorce, uh, you know, for any cause or what, you know, what are the, yeah. what are the boundaries where, when can I get a divorce? Right. And Jesus says, don't think about when you can get a divorce. Instead, remember that God is the one that put you together. God is the one that designed marriage. And this is the way it's been from the beginning. God didn't intend for you to get divorced. Right. So he makes divorce harder. That's, right? that's amazing. I, do you got to You want to capitalize on that? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, just the fact that you're saying, you know, Jesus raises the bar, because we've talked about that in previous episodes, yeah. how, how Jesus raises the bar. A lot of people think like, oh, Jesus made everything, it's hard to say like easier or harder, but he does, he raises the bar in a lot of ways. I was just reading the Beatitudes last night and how it's like exactly what you said, you know, uh, sexual immorality, don't look at your, you know, at someone with lust. And um, so it's a raising of the bar. And so it doesn't almost fit the mold the first way I read it. Yeah. Right. It, it doesn't fit the mold of Jesus raising the bar. It, it fits the mold of like, um, I don't even know what I would call it, but it just doesn't sound like Jesus. And I think that's probably why uh, people struggle with it because it doesn't sound like Jesus the, the first way we read it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And the reason why we do it, we fall into that trap. It's because we read the Bible the wrong way. And I think that's where we need to get at. Um, we read the Bible like an owner's manual, yeah. right? And we think when you read an owner's manual, you look at the index and you say, mm-hmm. I'm going to learn how to change my oil. Yeah. And you find page 88 because that's the page with oil changing. Yeah. And you don't read page 87 or 89. You don't really care. But when you read a story that way, does the story make any sense? Yeah. Like think about the Bible like a story. If if this book, Matthew, is a story, and and we don't understand the cultural context of the question that the Pharisees are asking, how can we really understand the answer? We we look up divorce on we Google. What does the Bible say about divorce? Right? Yeah, and we're, yeah. We I do that too. Like, what does the Bible say about you know? And then what we get is like snippets, and we read the Bible in church as snippets, and and. It's important, you know, it's okay that we do that to some extent. It's, go, it's okay to have a life verse or to have some, but if you only understand every, all of scripture and just these little snippets, mm-hmm. it's like trying to understand, you know, Shakespeare by one line, yeah. right? You can't Ugh. get all of Romeo and Juliet by. Yes, you can. Okay. Well, <laughs> sure. Well, okay. I, I, I hit a nerve here with him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an English major. Sure. Yeah. Who hates Shakespeare? What's your favorite story? In the world, yeah. Like, what's the story that you really like? Oh man, there were so many. I I actually really The Great Gatsby. Okay, was like w- one of my favorite American novels that I ever got to study and and teach. So, how's the story go? Can you um, summarize it? Yeah, short? really quick. Are you are you trying to make me do it in one sentence? No, or, no, or like, like in two words? Is yeah. that is that the challenge? No, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, Great Gatsby. Really quickly, uh, young love. Yeah. One goes off to war. Yeah. Um, he misleads the girl, saying mm-hmm. he's wealthy because she's wealthy, but he's not. Mm-hmm. He comes from nothing. He comes back. She's um, married already because yeah. she thought he was dead. And she found out that he was worth nothing. So she was yeah. marrying for status. So he pioneers his way into fortune by bootlegging, yeah. kind of illegally, crosses a lot of lines. 
uh, buys a mansion across from her in the bay, <laughs> tries to woo her and buy her back with all this money that he has. And essentially he reaches too far and does too much. And he kind of ruins himself. And then he ends up dying. And Sounds cheery. And Spoiler she, alert. And Spoiler she alert. Is, <laughs> the great been out since. Oh, no. Yeah. Like the, the I know, I know. And so, uh, yeah. And so, and then she, like, moves on and just keeps. Someone keeps was listening life. to that going, oh, yeah. this sounds like a really great story. I should really check it out. And then you just gave away. Yeah, so it doesn't matter now. <laughs> so. Yeah. What if you have? What if you only read page eighty-eight? Right, I totally get it. Or you know, he's so rich and famous. right. Yeah, all all stories have right. this like things are pretty good at the beginning, like this, the young love thing, yeah. and then he goes after war, and all you know, like the bottom falls out. Right, yeah. it's a really common you know pattern, right? right? And then there's the ups and the downs, and throughout, and maybe there's a scene where. Uh, if you only read that page, you would have no idea who the characters were. Yes. You would have no idea what the dialogue was. You would have no idea what their motivations were. And But when you look at the story as a story, it's beautiful and it has a flow right. and, it, and, and it has a point, right? Yeah. And I think the way that we read scripture, this is my bigger pet peeve, but it totally erases the way we think about divorce because we read uh, just this passage about divorce. Well, God, God, is, God doesn't like divorce. God... Um, Jesus says only if you commit sexual immorality is divorce allowed. There you go. Divorce is bad. Don't cheat on your wife. Don't get a divorce. Well, what about abuse? What about a lot of things? Right. And, and I'm not saying what about as a way to make divorce easier. Right. I I think we, we need to do what Jesus says and make it harder, but we need to, to understand that the law that God gives us is a concession for our broken world that always draws us to a higher justice. Yeah. Always draws us to a higher level of righteousness. Always draws us to a higher level of seeking after God, right? So when you think about the Bible and divorce, one of the passages that always comes up is Malachi 2, where it says, I hate divorce, right? Mm-hmm. So Malachi 2 is a prophet. He's speaking to God's people mm-hmm. when they have totally gone off the rails. And, and, um, Malachi says this, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife In body and spirit? You're his. And what does he want? He wants godly children from your union. So guard your heart and remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce. Says the Lord God of Israel to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. Says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart. and Do not be unfaithful to your wife. You are weary you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? You have wearied him by saying that all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and he is pleased with them. You have wearied him by asking, Where is the God of justice? You know, and this this passage is is really great and really telling, uh, because they're doing injustice and asking, Where's the God of justice? Right. I want justice on my terms. Yes. That's you know, selfish and, motive. and, and it's, it's always like when I, I really don't like the term social justice because social is, you know, you want to modify justice according to my social construct. Right. right? I, I want justice this way, but my version of social justice is different than your version of social justice. So 
you know, which which social justice are you really interested in? Yeah. Like, what if we wanted justice that wasn't modified, but it was according to God's will? Yeah. What if we wanted justice that was according to uh, to God's justice, and and we are aligning with His ideas and not our own, right? So Malachi says, you know, you've wearied God with the things that you say, yeah. and what what does God want for you to be faithful to your wife? You've overwhelmed her with cruelty, right? And so in that divorce class, I turn to the people and I say, God says, I hate divorce. What do you hear? And divorce people hear God hates me. Mm-hmm. That's a good question to ask. What do you hear when you hear that? Yeah. So, so you can ask that. Like, what, what, is, what, do, what do you hear? What do you hear when you hear God hates divorce? And that the, the God hates me doesn't, I, that's like, very simply doesn't line up with anything biblically so right. it can't be right it can't be true but right? when no. when we you mentioned earlier about how i don't remember the exact words of like christians that have gone through divorce are kind of like second class christians they right? feel like they that. feel yeah. like that right yeah. and i think they're treated that way by other christians sometimes yes yeah, absolutely you know and so for us you know what we say god is like versus the way that we live god is like mm-hmm. what's more believable yeah it's more believable that we live God is like, you know, kind of looking down on you. Mm-hmm. God is shaming you for the things you are and the things you've done, right? The way that we live is more, it speaks louder than the way that we speak, right? So when people that are divorced hear this, they hear God hates me because I'm divorced. And I said, and I got this from Instone Brewer, which I think is brilliant. And he says, what if God hates divorce for totally different reasons? Yeah. There's uh, passages in the in a couple places in the prophets. I think Jeremiah is the most prominent one, where he says, "Where's the certificate of divorce I gave you, Israel?" Yes. So, think about the divorce this way: God hates divorce not as somebody who's looking down in divorcees. What if God hates divorce as a divorcee? Yeah. Because he feels so separated from his He his feels creation. separated from his creation. He feels separated from the people that he loves most. Because that was really our choice, right? Was, like, like we divorced him. We divorced him, right? So, the bride of Christ. Yes. Yeah, so, so when you think about God and divorce, think about God like a divorcee. Man. And then when it'll totally change the way that you think God feels about divorce. God's Absolutely. not this judging, like, shame on you for your poor decision-making. Right. God is this guy that's like, man, I know that. I know that, that hurt. That is a hurt that I resonate with. I don't want with. that for anybody. I don't want that for anybody. I want you to have a good union with your wife. Yeah. I want you to have children that are blessed by your marriage. Man. So it totally changes the way you think about what the Bible says about divorce when you read it in context of all these things. When, uh, So you get back to that code, right? The Hammurabi's code. And you think of how unjust it was. You know, the way that they thought about the world was totally shaped by the stories that they told about God, right? Babylon is shaped by the way that they thought um, about God in the sense that they had these these gods where their creation story was uh, Tiamat was mm-hmm. killed by Marduk, and Marduk spread her guts all over the world, and then her guts became all the things that we see in creation, right? This violent, there's like rape and violence, and then people become the slaves of God. That's like their yeah. creation story. Yeah. Our creation story is instead like this. In the beginning, 
God created by speaking. And he created darkness and light, and they both obeyed him. He created good. He created animals and water and land, and he created uh, male and female, and he put us together. And everything has its counterpart, and Mm -hmm. everything weaves together for peace. And it's all peaceful. There's no killing. There's no raping. (laughs) Right? Right. And we don't. We just take it for granted, but when you read that story in context of all the other stories that were being told, you'd be like, wow, that's really different. Yes. Right? So uh, there's another passage about divorce, right? If a man marries a slave wife and takes another wife for himself, he must not neglect the rights of the first wife Mm. to food, clothing, and sexual intimacy. If he fails in any of these three obligations, she she may leave as a free woman without making any payment, right? And you're like, okay, again, like, this doesn't really fit my context. I don't have any slave wives, and I don't have multiple wives, right? But think of the, the law as a concession to a broken, sinful world and meeting the world where it is and pulling it toward justice, right? Mm-hmm. So here you have a woman who's divorced because her husband has found some other, you know, pretty young thing, right. and he's not as pleased with her anymore. Yeah. And the first woman is a slave, so she has no rights you know, according to Hammurabi's code or any other thing. But here you have God giving her rights. Right. He's given her rights to food, clothing, and intimacy, sex, love. Mm-hmm. And he says, if, if you neglect your wife, then she has a right to divorce you. It doesn't matter if she was a slave. She can go marry somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. And and then that Exodus or the Deuteronomy 24 passage it's a woman leaving a husband and with a certificate of divorce having a right to marry somebody else, Yeah. right? So this woman's free. That other woman's free. These people that have no place in society yes. now have rights because God's law, okay? So God is elevating the people that are low. And, and so then when we take these things, then we apply it to the way that we t- typically read Matthew 19, where yes. we say, unless there's immorality, you can't marry somebody else. Otherwise, you're committing adultery. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't make sense with the rest of Scripture that we know Jesus loved. Right. Right? So let's read it from a different way. That, so let's just take a, a small pause. Yeah, because I'm rambling at you. No, there. it's so good. So number one, my mind's blown. I have just learned so much. <laughs> And I'm like a geek in this stuff, and I'm just like eating it up. So this is so good, Ben. This is so good. And I think this, again, just gives such a strong background to why we do this podcast, Eric. is like here's one verse in the Bible that yeah. Jesus said that people are taken, and they're kind of bending to whatever way they want without this amazing story that's behind it that Ben has just shared with us. And... I'm like, I'm just, I am so just amped up right now. Like how good God is that he, like he's, he's been working the whole story the whole time, you know, to have, have this justice in, in the realm of marriage. And it's, yeah. it's beautiful. It really is. Well, I, I feel like I, a couple of these passages I've seen in marriages that are, have now ended in divorce that have been manipulated to say like, well, divorce is not an option. Yeah. And so this 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 phrase that you know we're married now and divorce is not an option has almost become like a reason to not address abuse, a reason to not address exactly. sexual immorality, and a reason to not address these things because 
well, I don't have to tend to my marriage because divorce is not an option. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so our, our marriages are, are less just. The way that we think about divorce in the church is less just. Yes. Instead of uh, bending more toward God's justice, we, we've kind of fallen away from it, and we use God's word as a way to justify our own injustice. That's exactly what the Pharisees did, isn't it? Yeah. 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 That's exactly why Jesus yeah. was yep. so upset at the Pharisees. And you see that in modern Christian culture in the way that we approach divorce. So when we think about this instead, what is, what is God saying? God is saying marriage is elevated. God is saying he hates divorce because he's for divorced people. Mm-hmm. God is saying uh, that that God is for you no matter what. So in the in the divorce class, I always tell this story, right? So I grew up. I'm older than you guys, right? I grew up in the 80s, okay? Hey, me too, 89, baby. 88. That's when I was born. I was born in 79, okay? So, good decade before you guys. I just turned 40. It's crazy. I'm old. So, my parents always had, like, technology that was, like, a decade older than than I was. They were than everybody else's was, right? So, they had this little TV, like... For reference, the screen was like the size of a laptop or an iPad, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and it's like black and white TV, and the sides were like this avocado green color, and the top was cream color, and it had this big silver knob on it to change the channels, right? So the top was cream color like you think cream color is like yellow because it's sat in the sun kind of cream color. And if you want to have like, you know, the rabbit ears and the whole nine yards. And so if you... Wanted to change the channel, you have to get up off the couch, go over and go, and turn that big silver knob, and then go lay back down on the couch. Well, you know, in the 80s, we had such a thing called this boredom that you don't have now because you have Fortnite instead. (laughs) And you have, you you know, everything else instead. So we would be bored on the couch, and you only get like two or three channels. And so I'd watch Days of Our Lives as long as I could stand it. And then you walk over, change the channel and watch love boat as long as you could stand it. Right. And neither of those things are things kids had any, you know, need to watch nothing edifying is in love boat or days of our lives. And eventually your mom would come over and turn off the TV, right? And go get outside. And I think about this, like in divorce, the people that are going through divorce, it's like they're oscillating between two stories. You either tell yourself the blame story. I'm in this place because them. It's all their fault. They've wronged me. Everything about my life is a mess because of them. Or you tell yourself the shame story. Shame story is I'm never going to be good enough. I'll never measure up to what God wants for me. I'll never get somebody to love me for the rest of my life. I'm a mess and I deserve what I've gotten. And and I think it's not just divorce. I think a lot of people are living one of these two stories. You live in a story of where your life is all about blaming somebody else, either politically or, you know, socially, or maybe it's your parents' fault, or maybe it's, you know, uh, whatever it is. You live the blame story. Or you're telling yourself the shame story. I'm never going to measure up. And... God is like a good mom in the 80s. Turn off the TV and tell you to go outside. He's telling you a different story. And so when when you read the Bible this way, it's like hearing, oh, God has a better story for me. 
It doesn't matter what you've lived through. God loves you. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be whole. God wants you to have joy that goes deeper than happiness. Mm. And when you think about your life that way, you can start to chase after God's dream for your life, God's dream for your marriage, rather than the things that you're chasing after instead. So that's why I tell people in the divorce class, quit telling yourself the blame story. Quit telling yourself the shame story. And then you'll find a more life-giving thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the Bible says some really good stuff about divorce that lifts up marriage and comforts people that are going through this, but also calls them to something better. If you're in a marriage, it's calling you to work on your marriage. Right. If you're going through divorce, it's saying God loves you in spite of what you're experiencing. If you are abusing somebody, it tells you to stop. If you are being abused, it tells you to be safe. It gives you allowance to, to know that God's heart is for you. Yeah. It's so much more, um, I, the word that comes to mind is like colorful. Like we, yeah, I was thinking you know, dynamic when you're dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah colorful. But like when we don't understand something, we tend to make it like these rigid lines and like sure. black and white and yeah. And the, the old Testament is a lot of people don't understand. So we like make it rigid and black and white. I, like I've had someone say to my face, Oh, you shouldn't have that tattoo. You know, because right. of the old Testament, like we just don't understand like the, the, right. the color that surround you know, like the, the rainbow of like, nuance that that is there when we just read it black and white well when you understand the rules are there to foster relationship to and and we you can say that in a way that kind of diminishes the rules and then we have a we have an amazing way of justifying our actions by playing with the rules right rather than justifying our actions what if we were chasing after god's heart what if, you know, David is described as a man after God's own heart? What if we were a people after God's own heart? And then the way that we interpreted the rules is always through that lens. We come to a lot of different conclusions. Right. Mm, yeah, that's good. That's really good. But uh, So what would you have to say for some for someone who's maybe not yet married, never been married, or currently married in their first marriage? Uh, what is what is like what do they have to pull from this understanding of divorce and marriage sure you know what i mean i what you see god doing is creating us for relationship and you see marriage is being this way that we that we articulate the praise that all of creation gives god right marriage becomes this little image this little glimmer this little foretaste i describe it this way right you you guys go to costco yeah 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 Yeah. you go to costco you get the free sample right yeah and sometimes you come around the the corner and the free samples for like canned tuna on a plain cracker and you're like come on canned tuna on a plane i know what canned tuna tastes like i don't need a free sample of that or like prune juice like who needs a sample of prune juice nobody's drinking it because like oh this is delicious (laughs) you know you either need to drink prune juice for your own dietary reasons and you buy it because you need it for that or you don't buy it because you don't nobody needs a free sample of that but sometimes you come around the corner and it's that chicago popcorn right or it's like the pizza. The pizza, right? What, oh, yeah. You find the thing, they're like, oh. They have like the really nice cheese or something. And you find the free sample that really is good. Marriage is like when you get like a little free sample of heaven, right? Marriage is a relationship with somebody that describes the relationship 
that describes the possibility for intimacy that we we will experience in heaven. It's like this little window into the Trinity where we get to see what it's like to be one with somebody. Because Jesus is making, he says, God is making two into one. Where, where do we see two, three becoming one, right? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's this little window where you get to see what the Trinity looks like. And you can experience that in your own marriage, or you can experience that in witnessing other people's marriages, your parents' marriage, your friends' marriages, you, the, the cute old couple that's holding hands on the bus. You witness what it looks like to, to be in relationship. And so... When when you are on the brink of marriage or when you're thinking about marriage or whether you're thinking, like, am I going to be single my whole life or what do I want in marriage, think about it like, what what does God want for my marriage? And I think we need to elevate singleness as a calling because you look right after that where God right. Jesus is talking about how some people are called not to marry mm-hmm. by the kingdom of God for the sake of the kingdom of God. And Paul is like that and Jesus is like that. Right. So you can't diminish that and say, because the Jewish mentality at that time was, if you're not married, you're kind of shortchanging uh, the king, the kingdom. You're you're mm-hmm. cheating God out of something you owe God. You owe God kids yeah. because you're supposed to you're supposed to create the the God's chosen people, right? And, and you see this through Genesis, right? It's all about being able to have kids from Abraham on, right? So instead, Jesus elevates singleness as a valid vocation, right? Right, and he, and so does Paul. Paul says, "I wish you were like me because you can focus on God's kingdom." Mm-hmm. Like that was totally that's the least Jewish thing Paul ever said, right? So when you understand what they're trying to get after in that, then then we can think about. See, we treat marriage as like this: you have to to be normal. And then a lot of people get married that shouldn't be married because they, they're not healthy, they're not ready, right, yes. or they think, for me to be a whole person, I need to get with somebody else, or God's calling me to this because I'm supposed to be a mom, or whatever it is. And for that reason, I think that's one of the reasons why marriage is so messed up, because we we make an obligated thing, and then we th- we make uh, divorce a too easy thing. Right. And, we, right. and we've seen a tremendous shift in the average marriage age yeah. now too, right? Like w- we have women at 28 and men at 29 yep. um, is the average marriage age, I, I believe now. Yep. And that, I mean, that came all the way up from what used to be like 20 yeah. for women and 22 for men or something like yep. that. And a part of that I think has been not only a prolonged a- adolescence that creates some more I- immaturity, Absolutely. But, but there has been the awareness of people of the maturity of it going like, yeah, I'm not ready. Like I, yeah. I need to figure out myself more. I need to be whole for this marriage thing. Cause it's a really serious thing. Yeah. And, and you know, then we kind of come into the age of technology and a travel and, and all this stuff, sure. but all plays parts. But I think there is some wisdom to it too, that sure. like, I want to make sure that when I do that holy matrimony, yeah. I want it to be, serious and for a lifetime and and i think that's a connotation around it now too i think that's a really that's a really holy motivation right right and for me like when i got married i was totally immature right and when i started dating my wife when we were in high school i was 17 i was like more mature than anything but we were committed right right so what i tell people too is you're is you're if you're on the brink of marriage 
or like thinking about this. I don't know why I keep saying it that way. It makes it sound like you're like getting ready to fight your arch nemesis right in the <laughs> brink of marriage. Right. When, when you are like thinking about marriage or you want to get married, like don't focus so much on compatibility. Like compatibility is important, but we elevate compatibility to the highest thing and instead focus on commitment and character commitment and character trump compatibility every single time yeah if you're committed to each other and you have the character to follow through with your commitment you'll figure out how to navigate the incompatibilities because every step of the way there's going to be some kind of incompatibility right you you, a man and a woman are could not be more different and the reason why god puts together because we can't be we could not be more different that's that's an asset not a liability so the incompatibility you can see is like, oh, this is a real pain in the butt. Or you can see it as she sees the world in a completely different way than I do. Right. Wow, our perspective just got 180 degrees wider. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When, yeah. when you think about it that way, like because our perspectives don't overlap, we're that much richer yep. for the experience. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. So how would you we like to kind of try and boil it down into like a modern, like what would you say Jesus is saying modern times? How would you translate it? Sure. In today's language. How, how, would, how would you translate this specifically like verse four and five? Yeah. So, well, they come asking about divorce and he flips it and starts talking about marriage. And so I think it would stay, maybe it'd say, you're asking the wrong question. You're you're focused on a divorce. You should be focusing on having good marriages. Yeah. You know, and so I I think that might be a good way to sum it up. I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, I I'm not even gonna try to come up with take a stab at it. I think that's that's as as good as it gets. Yeah. You have any any final thoughts, either of you? I you know I I want to take I want to take a really quick. Um, tour of what we all the content we just went through. There's <laughs> a lot. Right. And I love it so much. So I, I'm going to try and piece together just the context of this verse from what Ben has told us. And then Ben can give me like the yes or no along the way. Yeah. Like, Corey, that was wrong. Let's refresh. Because I think, I again, there's so much good stuff here. And I think people are thinking like me and I'm just down so many different avenues. And I want to, I want to make sure that I'm leaving and other people are leaving with like, yes, like this is the like the heart of Jesus behind this answer. Mm-hmm. So if we, if we take this verse um, in Matthew, right? Chapter 19. And we, we had Ben bring us way back to Deuteronomy um, of which there, there was a statement, right? That um, you shouldn't get divorced except for if there's, there's sexual immorality yep. of any cause. Yeah. Right. So that was said. And then you had this, this rabbi, um, Hillel, Hillel, yeah. Hillel, Hillel, right. Who came along kind of combating what might've been a cultural thing at the time from the law of Hammurabi, mm-hmm. which was like, you can do anything you want, right. Yeah. As a man and eye for an eye type of world. Um, and he, and he said, you know, um, so this, this rabbi comes and says, Hey, um, any cause can, can be more than sexual immorality. And we talked about all those causes mm-hmm. in, in today's language. So, we, we kind of go down this track. We see the light of, of the Malachi verse, which I loved of yeah. like, what if we flip this idea that, 
Um, you know, God's in Malachi says, I hate divorce. And what if God's the one who's like, he's felt that divorce. Yeah. Like he's, he feels the pain because we divorced him. Yeah. Empathy, empathy, empathy. Absolutely. And God's feeling this. And so then we, again, we kind of come to this place back to where Jesus is responding to this question prompted by the Pharisees. And they're really asking him, not just like, what are the grounds for divorce? They're asking him, what do you think about this quote unquote, any cause? They're trying to be divisive yes. because they're trying to get him to like say something and his followers are going to be like, eh, I don't know if I agree with Jesus yeah, on that. Right. They're trying to outwit him. They're trying yeah. to, you know, get the limelight off of him as they always do. Yeah. And so they're really asking about this. Do you believe that, you know, we can divorce our wives for any cause? Cause that's what you, I think you kind of said it had been happening. Like, yeah. People could just write it off and, and get rid of them. And the majority of so the major like everybody's divorce basically was for any cause. Right. right? Any this cost. is the reason why they got divorced. Yep. You know, this is the legal, you know, the legal underpinnings of basically everybody's divorce. Yeah. And so Jesus really at that time took a stand as he always did with all the Mosaic law and brought it to the next level and yep. said, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not like that. Yeah. And and restated this idea that what God has put together. Yeah. Right. The the sole purpose of marriage is right to be holy in the light of God and then yeah. to live through that. Like that is the purpose. We shouldn't be looking for any cause. We shouldn't be out right. there um, trying to exploit a way to get out of yeah. it. Like when we approach this matrimony, let's yeah. let's keep it that way. Um, but there are grounds, right? Right. As, as he said, and as we've noted, yeah. that there might there More might than just sexual immorality. right or yep, sexual immorality or and, and we can, yeah, always think through that. But that's kind of the history of this yeah. that I've that I've said. Did I miss yeah. anything? Is no, that pretty I, I good? think that was a, a brilliant summary. I think you should be a teacher, right? Huh? Well, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I I think. Uh, I think that was a really succinct way to what it took me an hour and whatever to say. Right. But, uh, I think that once you start with God's heart, you, you start with where God's at and what, what God wants for us. And then all of these rules make a lot more sense. Yeah. And, and rather than that, we start with the rules and say, well, how far can I really take it? And then we always come up with a wonky way of dealing with the rules. Right. It's beautiful. Great. Thanks for having fantastic. me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming. I think we, we always end it with a question. Oh yeah. Yeah. And before we do that, I had uh, one of our viewers answer a question that we had. Oh, a couple episodes, two ago. episodes ago, three episodes ago. So Matt Keppen, uh, he wanted to respond to the, uh, what restaurant would Jesus go to? And he said, I'm pretty sure Jesus would go to who, Chick-fil-A, because of the pure quality of chicken, he was here to show us the best possible way to live our lives. And uh, to do just that, you got to go Chick-fil-A, just saying. I would ask, so, Matt, have you had Raising Cane's at all? I know. I didn't I'm a fan. That. I'm a fan of Raising Cane's. Cane's. Yeah. Raising Cane's I'm telling you, there's yeah. some That's... debate. So that was a little listener feedback on all those questions. So the question tonight comes because... My son's getting really into Thomas train, Thomas and Friends, Thomas the Train Engine, whatever. And I realized that, uh, well, Ringo Starr narrates. Who's like, that? <laughs> go back to our first episode. <laughs> yeah, well, let's, let's let other people help okay, out. For, those, for those who don't know, Ringo Starr was the drummer for the Beatles. Okay, thank you. Um, 
we had a question in the first episode of what Beatles were, what disciples or something. Yeah. And you didn't know who the Beatles were. <laughs> I knew who they were. I didn't know the individual <laughs> names. Okay, guy who drinks wine out of a beer glass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's this comes because of Ringo Starr um, narrating. But do you know who did the first season? George Carlin. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where my son's at. My son's two and a half, and he just got into Thomas. And so, like, and he's Al not Baldwin. into the Beatles yet. And I'm like, that sounds like George Carlin. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. Like, I hope he doesn't say any swear words when the, yeah. you know, Thomas, yeah. Thomas stubs his toe and then <laughs> says the seven words you can't say on yeah. TV. That's another old reference you probably don't yeah. get. Yeah. 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 And then Al Baldwin does later episodes. Does he? Yeah. Gotta... That's funny. Man, big anyway, names coming in. Anyway, yeah. the, the question is, if Jesus narrated a kid's television show, which would it be? This is so good. I, I'm not privy on kids shows right now because yeah, I don't have kids. Okay, so you guys, maybe you have a kids show. Yeah. I'm gonna think a little bit. I feel like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yeah, I, is that a narrator? That's no. not really a narrator. That's a host, maybe but... be one of the characters or the narrator yeah. for like the, 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 yeah, the like the puppets. yeah the puppets and stuff. Yeah. I think that's a good answer. I was thinking, uh, you know, in that same line, I really like. Uh, uh, Daniel Tiger, which is like the modern version of, oh, yeah. of uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. But I think Jesus would be like, you know, there's no way he would touch a lot of the cartoons you have today. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. they were just like, not quality. Yeah. You know, but uh, the cartoons that we had weren't quality either, just for diff- different reasons, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, man, I cartoon-wise, I'm really struggling one that popped in my head maybe was like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's pretty harmless. But I, I don't have a good reason. The non-kid show that I think of is like Sunday afternoon golf. Like you went to church. <laughs> you come home. Yeah. And you like lay down on the couch. And then Jesus' just... voice is just calling me like, you know, serene day today. It's just like, you know, yeah. we're glad you're here. And as, as you fall asleep, you know, he takes, oh, he takes that swing. I don't know. Well, I I, and, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a golfer, so maybe I don't know. <laughs> Eric and I are. Yeah, yeah, you're like, yeah, I totally yeah. would. Yeah, I know who I knew who Jesus would root for when he was, you know, like, yes, he nailed that button. Yeah, that's right. You know, so it would definitely be the master. Right? Just do the whole tournament. Yeah. Yes, that's oh, that's, that's good. good. Okay, so to wrap things up, we're going to uh, give our next topic. Um. We're going to do John fourteen twelve, which is um, from the NIV. It says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I think we're going to end it there. Yeah, it's going so to be thank, good. Yeah, thanks for being here, Ben. Thanks for having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Yeah, it was fun. This was awesome. Pleasure. And uh, we will talk to you all next time. <laughs>